You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. We decided to play God. Create life. And when that life turned against us, we comfort ourselves in the knowledge that it was the Cylons that were flawed. But the truth is, we are the flawed creation. We jump into uncharted space. We're a long way from home. Limited supplies, limited fuel, no allies, and now no hope. As of this moment, we are at war. Sooner or later the day comes when you can't hide from the things you've done. Moments ago, this ship received word of a Cylon attack against our home worlds is underway. You're the new breed of Cylon. The last time anybody saw the Cylons, they looked more like walking toasters. I have feelings, hopes, wants, and what I want most of all is for you to love me. The Cylons look like us, that any one of us can be a Cylon. You're gonna die in this body. My consciousness will just be transferred to another one. Another Cylon! Humanity's children are returning home today. Let's get this ship into the fight. Zack failed basic flight. He should not have been there. He was only doing it for you. Thought I should confess my sins. How's the wife? I promise you one thing. We will make it. We have 50,000 people left. The war is over. It hasn't begun yet. and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we are going to go the toy route. We are going to examine the Battlestar Galactica Titanium line of ships. This is the modern Battlestar Galactica, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica. This is a specific toy line that I used to collect that I really, really enjoy, and I want to be able to share that with you guys and all the different variations that existed. Then we're going to take a different trip into... An imaginary mall. This is a place where if somebody who's into all this kind of genre material, nerdy, geeky stuff, what would a place that you can go shopping would look like? This is just something something silly that I've been thinking about for a long time. Wouldn't it be great if something like this existed? Something similar to what we have at conventions, like major, major conventions, uh, as far as the different type of selection of merchandise that, you know, we have to currently go to so many different places on the internet or even in person to be able to obtain. But wouldn't it be cool if there was a one-stop shopping place where we could find all these items? Again, this is fantasy. This doesn't exist, but I wish it would. So let's begin with Battlestar Galactica Titanium Series Ships. You can collect them all. You! Batteries not included. Just get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the six million dollar man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Some assembly required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case. For today's collectibles segment, I want to talk about the Hasbro Titanium Collection for Battlestar Galactica. 
Now, as you might remember, Battlestar Galactica ran from 2004 to around 2009. And somewhere in the middle there, more or less, around 2006, they debuted this particular line of toys. The Hasbro Titanium Collection is something that is nothing new in terms of their other lines, especially Star Wars, that have been running for a very long time in different kind of incarnations, if you will. But this particular one focused on Battlestar Galactica. Now, by titanium, uh, at least in this manner, what we're talking about is these small, I would say about three-inch long ships, maybe three and a half inches, some of them. They're bigger than the old uh, micro-machines. However, the detail is fantastic. And they are die-cast. They are nice and heavy. They feel, when you grab these, when you kind of weigh them on your hand, they feel good. They feel like there's something sturdy going on, which is something that the the old uh, micro-machines didn't have. Because they were made out of plastic, very soft plastic, you kind of got the feeling that you're getting what you pay for. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to dump on the uh, micro-machines. They were beautifully cast and painted. But you know, a lot of times when you had very long, thin pieces, they did tend to kind of bend them in the wrong direction sometimes and that sort of thing. And they were kind of flimsy. They were very light and easily, you know, you can knock them over very easily. However, these titaniums are die cast. Like I said, they're very, they're pretty heavy. They feel nice and heavy in your hands. And when you display them, they're not that easily to knock off. Now, these come with a little tiny base that you assemble. And it says Battlestar Galactica on the base. The first wave, which is considered to be Series 1, consisted of the Battlestar Galactica, obviously. There was the Ultra Collector's edition of Battlestar Galactica, which is a large, even more detailed version. This particular one measured about, let's see here, I would say somewhere between 6 and 7 inches long. And what was cool about at least the Galactica models themselves was that you could pull out the side landing platforms. Both those side platforms, if you remember in the show, they kind of tuck into the ship and then they tuck out. They kind of stick out or stick in depending on, I guess, how fast they're going or whether or not they're being attacked or something, whatever. But they were able to incorporate that feature into both the small one and the, uh, you know, the ultra collector's edition. Now I have them both Normally, I wouldn't go this crazy in terms of buying different sizes of the same thing. But once I saw that large one, it is just amazing how good it looks for a ship that size. Now, the way that these things are put together is that on top, it is all completely sculpted, you know, however it's supposed to look. And same thing in the bottom. But the bottom is where you're holding the screws that holds this whole thing together. So they kind of hide the screws in the bottom. I have never taken these apart, and I don't know if I would, just out of curiosity, I might one day just to see what's going on inside, but that is how these things are put together. I guess it's in two pieces, a bottom and a top. Those two pieces are cast, and then they're put on by screws. There are other little holes, especially on the larger one. Let me see if the other one has it. No, the other one doesn't have it, but the other one does have... Obviously, the holes for the... Oh, I, I know. I know. It's for the stand. You see, as I mentioned, the smaller version, the more popular one, the ones that they make the most out of, they have this little single plastic stand that you put them in, and there's a hole in the bottom so you can kind of put the stand on it. The larger one came in a completely different display base. It was a plastic display base with two rods coming from underneath the display base, holding it up on two different points underneath. And that's why in the bottom, you do have these two additional holes. And then the whole display base came covered in a plastic, uh, like an acrylic cover, so you could see through. So you're never really allowed to touch it. Well, one of the things I did, I mean, I did display it for a while in that manner, but I had to touch this thing. <laughs> I had to kind of feel, and I had to obviously be able to, you know, open those landing ports to put them in and put them out. So uh, I did take apart the, uh, the the plastic case, and I ended up displaying it eventually without it at all completely, because I wanted to be able to, you know, be able to look at it underneath and look on the sides and all that stuff. So that is kind of how I display it now. So Again, other than the holes to display the um, the little holder, the little stand, you also have screws, two screws usually on each of these. So 
Again, you got your Battle Star, your regular Battle Star, then you have your Ultra Battle Star, then you have your Cylon Raider. Now, the Cylon Raider, obviously, for the show, it is a completely different design. Granted that the show does sort of indirectly, even though it's a reboot, it borrows from the original in order to create a history without it being a sequel. So, certain technological things from the show, certain events from the show, all come from this other one. Now, for the Cylon Raider, the design is completely different than what we remember from the original show. The original show was basically a saucer-shaped kind of ship. This one is more like a... I don't even know how to describe it. It's two angled tips pointing towards the front with the, you know, the majority of, of it on the back. And it is kind of implied, from what I understand, your typical Cylon Raider ship is a artificial intelligence. It's an AI unit. In other words, normally they wouldn't be a cabin inside with pilots, whether they're robots or not or whatever. The face of the ship is the face of a Cylon robot, obviously. You have the back and forth eye and the face kind of of what some of those more traditional robotic ones look like. So they kind of worked that into the show and they worked it into the design of the Raider. This particular Raider is kind of grayish colored and you do have the face right in the front. The only difference is that when you turn it over, when you flip it over, other than the hole for the stand, is that this has four screws in the bottom. So I guess it takes a little more attention to be able to put it together because of its unusual shape. When you have a box shape, really all you need is two, one top and one bottom. But because this one is almost like a Y shape or an H shape in a way, you do have more areas that need support. And again, this is exactly my point of why these are so much better uh, created in this manner in the die cast form. Because if you put this in plastic, if you cast this in plastic, I could tell you right now, those two pointed sides, those things would be pointing everywhere. Between the packaging and somebody actually playing with it and handling it, by the time you display it, those two points, one's going to be pointing up and one's going to be pointing down. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I can guarantee that you would spend a lot of time reconfiguring those to get them to point the right way. And again, this is an excellent example of why they went in that direction. The third ship included in this series is the... Viper, the 1104 Viper. And from what I understand on the packaging, they incorrectly labeled it as the Mark 7 Viper, which is this is not, this is not the 7. In the show history, if I remember it right, and please forgive me if I make a mistake, the Viper 1104 model, better known as the Mark 2 model, is the one that Adama's ship has. And from the history of the show, these are supposed to be the ones that were part of this old battle star from the previous war, the ship that is being decommissioned. And they are noticeably different in shape and style than the more modern ones that they're supposed to be having, the Mark 7s. Now, the issue with the show, if you remember, the whole hook of it is that because the Mark 7s are more computerized, more networkable to each other, that was the reason why they were able to be disabled by the Cylons, and that is why the Mark IIs survived the attack, is because they were not automatically shut off when the attack came. So this brings us back to this first wave. The wave comes with a Mark II, the traditional one for the show that we see most of the time. But for whatever reason, it was improperly labeled in the box. The box labels as it's a seven, it's really a Mark II. Again, very cool design, very nice and sturdy wings, thanks to the, the die casting. You flip it over, you have two screws, you have your stand hole, and you do have, which is a cool little feature that these other ones so far don't, is landing gear, retractable landing gear. You have three retractable landing gears underneath that you can adjust you know, as needed, which is really cool. So there you have your first wave, which is a very traditional you know, let's get started with this collection. Let's see if anybody buys it kind of way. These all came individually packaged. Very classic ships, if you will, you know, from the um, beginning of the show, from the introduction of the, of the toy line. You have to start with your basic food groups, if you will. Then we have Series 2. This is also part of 2006. The, the previous one came out in the spring. Now we're in the summer. There's another wave of ships. First up, Colonial 1. This is basically the uh, Air Force One version of the ship. This is the one that President Rosalind travels in the majority of the series. You know, it has those presidential colors, which is interesting how they go with the white and the light blues and the dark blues and stuff like that. Very good rendition of the ship as far as the, the show goes. 
Pretty simple design. They were able to kind of put it together in one quick shot. It only has one screw in the bottom and the uh, and the base holder hole in there. No frills, no thrills, no extra features in it. It does its job. It's super detailed. It looks exactly like it, you know, in a small manner. This is a nice little ship. And it's good that they also go outside of the military ships, at least with this particular one. I wish they would have done more. Not necessarily they all have to be fighters and battleships and you know, freighters and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of cool. The second one is the Raptor. Uh, now, this is a cool ship because this is a ship that ends up showing up quite a number of times because it's a, it's the type of ship that is brought down on missions and then back from missions, you know, when you go down to a planet and then come back from the planet and you have a lot of people, well, not a lot, but a number of people inside your ship when you're transporting troops or just regular people. This is a, a pretty bulky one in terms of, obviously, these are not to scale to each other. In other words, I believe the, the, the Marks 2s and the 7s are in scale to each other, but I don't think the ships as a whole are in scale to each other because I believe some of them are way... I mean, obviously, the Battlestar would have to be the size of my desk. Actually, not even my desk. It would have to be the size of this whole office, I think, in order to uh, be in scale with one of the Marks. So... The Raptor, it is noticeably a larger looking ship. It looks larger to me. You know, the cockpit looks larger, like you could fit more characters. It's possible. Maybe it is in scale. I know, it's hard to say. It, to me, it just looks a little larger. Now, what's interesting about this ship is that if you really, really look close, there are parts that are die cast, but they also now, I'm noticing there are parts that are plastic. That is very interesting. I would say the majority of it is die cast, but they're the, the back wings, the back uh, flaps, if you will. They're actually soft plastic. That's really interesting how they combine both. I guess it's really hard to make that much, especially when it's so elaborate. You can't really go that much detail. But this thing, I mean, if you look underneath, this has five screw holes in the bottom to be able to assemble this thing together. That's very, very interesting how they had to kind of mix and match two different styles. It does have landing gear underneath, but it is not retractable like the other ones. Again, this is a very nice-looking ship. I'm surprised at the plastic in it and how those wings seem to be kind of holding up. Because I was, you know, before I was complaining about the Raider, that how easily it would have been to mess it up. The third one here is the Viper Mark 7. Now, this is the 7. This is the one that we see kind of get obliterated, more or less, during the show's premiere this is the evolvement, I guess, from the Mark II. I guess there must have been a Mark III or four or five or six, whatever, but this is the seven. And let me just kind of mess with it. And I think we're dealing with the same thing here. The top fin is a very small fin and it's made out of plastic. And I think the Mark II had that too, now that I think about it. So the majority of this is all, you know, die cast metal. Granted, it's a completely different design. It's a different color. It has more like a bluish kind of color. And I don't remember if this is because of the um, uh, the ships that were salvaged at some point. I don't remember exactly because we, we, you kind of do see these get to completely wiped out in the beginning of the show, more or less. And we go to the more traditional Mark IIs. Underneath, you have a two-screw system and the um, stand holder, as you do. Again, because it's a simple design, they were able to go, I would say, 95% metal on this. So it's a nice, different design. It's a more futuristic design, if you will. I can kind of see how they, you know, conceptually said, all right, you're starting off with this model and then you're moving on to that model. This is supposed to be a more advanced model. Granted, like I said earlier, these are the networkable, computerized ones that get completely taken out by the Cylons. Okay, next up is Series 3 which is somewhere between 2006 and 2007. I guess they kind of overlapped around the holidays and that sort of uh, time. They came up with two new ones. The first one is Scar. Now, here's where things get, as a collector, you start to go, uh-oh. Scar, the character or the vehicle named Scar, is a Cylon Raider. And it is basically a repaint. There was an episode where you had this flying egg. Again, this is a, it's a kind of a repeat. Uh, you know, they're, they're repurposing the story, I guess, from an earlier classic Battlestar where you're, they're fighting this specific flying ace bad guy, you know, and they, it's a one-on-one -on -one thing and, you know, but whatever. But they did a similar thing here. And it's basically the regular Raider, except that he's painted a little darker. And he seems to have a scar on his face, you know, on the cockpit kind of area. So... This is, again, one of those situations where as a collector, you start to go, oh, oh, because you're like, okay, we're now entering the world of, or the phase of repaints. Repaint is something that's 
kind of difficult for collectors because that is where you're being kind of told by the manufacturer that, you know what, I can give you something without spending too much money. All I got to do is repaint. I don't have to recast. I don't have to resculpt. I don't have to do anything. All I got to do is give it a new pink coat and it's brand new. And yes, that is a little difficult for collectors. It's a little annoying. But guess what? That is exactly what they did in the show. They created a character that was basically a repaint of another character. And then again, you know, you do those sort of things for many reasons. You're trying to save money on the show, so you, that's how you do it. It's a lot cheaper than having to create a new character from scratch. But anyway, it is a legitimate character on one of the episodes, so you have it. And here's what's interesting. I'm now, I'm now kind of playing around with it and looking at it and holding it. I'm and noticing the screws underneath and the specific locations on the screws. And I'm starting to notice that even on the Raider that I talked about earlier, that I was telling you about how it's so good that it's all metal and the tips are metal. Guess what? The tips are not metal. When you look at the positioning of the screws, you kind of see a little border there. And that little border designates the end of the metal and the beginning of the plastic. So the very, very, very tips of the ship itself, of that H or Y-shaped ship that I was talking about, does incorporate plastic too. It is a very hard plastic. It seems to be, to me, it seems to be a lot harder than the Micro Machine plastic. But hell, hell, they, you know, they, they pretty much fooled me initially. I thought this whole, these things were completely made out of metal. But no, there is some plastic elements apparently on a lot of sections, which is really unusual. I wonder why they couldn't go all the way with the metal. But, you know, it seems to be holding up pretty well. So again, this is another new character that is kind of repaint, you know, a little disappointing. And then you have something to make up for that, I think. And that is they created the classic Colonial Viper. Now, the classic Colonial Viper is something that they worked, again, into the show. The old show's technology, that being an even earlier rendition of the original series, the technology being used as early tech for the existing world that we're in right now, the Battlestar Galactica world. So, the Viper from the original show is part of the history of this story, and they made a ship out of it. The ship, it is more or less in proportions to the one that, you know, the, the Viper, the, the Mark II. This particular Viper is exactly like the one from the TV, from the old show. The way that it is crafted is just like the other one. You have a lot of metal, but you also have little bits of plastic here and there. The top fin. Underneath, you have two screws. You have the uh, base holder. And here's what's interesting. The base holder, the words Battlestar Galactica are written differently. They're written in the style and font of the original show, as opposed to these other ones I've been mentioning to you before, the World Battlestar Galactica is written in the modern 2004 you know, to 2009 fonts. So it's really good that they're kind of paying homage to the original show, just like the show did, just like the modern show did, but they're also doing it with the toys. They're giving you that little bonus. So this being a wave of only two ships is a little disappointing because there's only two. And it is disappointing that they're repainting already ships with this particular Scar version of the Raider. But on the other hand, they're giving you a classic Viper. That kind of makes up for it as far as I'm concerned, as far as that wave goes. Okay, for the fourth wave, which came out in 2007, first off, they list the Cylon Centurion. This is not a ship. This is a small sculpted model of the Centurion. Similarly packaged to the Ultra Collector's Edition of the Battlestar, it is a, it's a figurine within a plastic shell display case. Again, this is not a ship. This really doesn't belong in this particular series as far as I'm concerned because it's not ships, but it is under the titanium banner. So it's considered to be part of it, which means that the only two other items left here are ships, but it's only two again this time around. First one up is the classic Cylon Raider. Once again, dipping back into the original, which is great. I love that. It has the base with the classic fonts, like I mentioned earlier with the Viper. But this is the classic Raider, the Cylon Raider, the, the kind of uh, saucery shape one that we kind of all uh, remember. Now I'm feeling it everywhere and I am pretty sure there is no plastic because this is one solid piece, I think, I hope. Just two screw holes in the bottom and your typical base holder hole. No frills, no thrills, no mechanical anything, landing gears or anything like that. It is a solid, solid piece, greatly detailed, greatly painted, exactly like what we would look like 
and how it had appeared in the show in its different, you know, incarnations, more or less. Uh, a lot of these appeared in also not only on the TV show, but in the, the spin-off movies and the, the TV movies that they made. So we got to see a lot of these. Very nice. Again, a great little gift to, to the hardcore fans, to the old school fans. Then you have the Battlestar Pegasus. Okay. The Pegasus obviously made it into both series, the original and the new one. The design of the ship is a little different, but kind of reminiscent of the existing Battlestar Galactica. The difference is that the two landing ports on the side do not retract and come, come in and come out. One of the biggest differences in the Battlestar itself is the amount of engines that you have in the rear, as opposed to the Battlestar Galactica that seems to have like these main four engines, more or less. This one has two, four, eight of them, has twice as many. They're all kind of in a circular formation around the rear, and it does look really good. There's, uh, let's see, two screws in the bottom holding it together. Again, mainly the metal part of it with one peg hole in the bottom for the stand. This is because this is a modern version of the Pegasus, not the original Pegasus. It is with the more modern Battlestar Galactica logo on it. Again, the amount of detail put into this is fantastic. It's just as good as the Battlestar Galactica how good they went. And it's funny because when you think about it, I wonder if the ultra version of the Galactica was like a trial balloon to see if they could get people to buy larger versions of this thing. Because I could imagine, I could picture, you know, all of these ships, you know, being sold in larger sizes with more features, you know, more mechanical advancements and that sort of thing. Up next, we have wave number five, series five. These came out in 2007. Now, these are two very interesting ships. One of them is the Viper 1104 Stealth Fighter, if you will, which is basically a Mark II painted kind of black and blue. Now, initially I was thinking, and believe it or not, I think up to this point, I've been thinking, well, this is the one for when they had that stealth vehicle that they build and they construct a little, you know, somewhat stealth fighter. However, in this case, what they did for this particular titanium ship is that they took a Mark II ship and just painted it black and gave it a couple of blue stripes. So up to this point, and I'm talking about up, up to today, I was convinced that that's what it was because I hadn't seen the show in so long. And then when I started looking at pictures of what the stealth fighter actually looked like, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is wrong. <laughs> so... What we're dealing here is basically a repaint that is not even technically in the show. Not a good sign. A cool looking ship. It has the, you know, the guts and the, the building of your typical Mark II. It's got the two screws in the bottom with the retractable landing gears and the peggle in the bottom also for the stand. But unfortunately, this has absolutely nothing to do with the show. So a little disappointed years later, almost 10 years later, 11 years later. <laughs> the other one is a Mark V painted in the red and kind of white-gray configuration to kind of match the traditional Vipers. However, the paint scheme here is, again, completely wrong. This is another ship that did not appear on the show. Now, just like the stealth one, it is still a super cool looking ship. It is still has the same plastic parts that the other original ones have. You know, the ones that are painted correctly. It looks super cool. I could picture this in an episode. And I think I might have even convinced myself that these two ships are actually appeared. But they never did. This is another great looking ship. Again, you know, constructed exactly like the previous one. So this fifth wave, we kind of should have seen the writing on the wall. We're at a point now when they're just producing repaints. And there are repaints that are not even part of the show. So, yeah, this is where things started to kind of go downhill, when they're not even bothering to include something original. Finally, around the end of 2007, I think it was, or early 2008, something like that, they released the classic Battlestar Galactica. Now, this being a classic ship, it does have the stand with the classic... Battlestar Galactica fonts, you know, iconic fonts. Flip it over, you got two screw holes and the peg holder hole, the stand hole underneath. It looks fantastic. It is the original Battlestar Galactica. It's got this nice gray, light gray color. 
does not have retractable landing platforms because I believe that was not part of the show, but it is a perfect addition to this. Unfortunately, this will be, have become the last ship of the series. There was supposed to be a Cylon base star added as part of this particular wave, and this is a base star from the modern show, not the older show. The one that kind of looks like a star, like two stars on top of each other. And that would have made so much sense because the base star, you know, when you release these original classic ones, that is one of the ships that you should have, just like they didn't do a classic base star. The modern base star, the Cylon base star, should have been another one of these that should have been released. And unfortunately, it did not make it because the line was canceled by that point. There were rumors that they were also going to release a Cylon Heavy Raider, a differently shaped Cylon vehicle. That would have been a nice one, too. Never happened. They did release a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive that had a Colonial Raptor, a Viper Mark II, and a Battlestar Galactica. To me, they look like complete repackaging, but in a three-pack format. The only thing that looks different here is that the Battlestar Galactica, which is the, the modern Battlestar Galactica, has been painted much, much darker. And I don't understand the point of that. It's painted almost like a dark gray. I don't get it. I don't understand why. Maybe it's supposed to resemble the ship as it was finishing the series and it's, you know, dirtier and broken down and that. But that's a theoretical kind of rabbit hole that a lot of these companies go into sometimes, and that is when you start releasing versions of the same ship, not only just repaints, but the, what they like to consider to be battle damage or weathered. And that's another one of these like, oh my God, here we go. They don't want to give us something new. So they're just repainting something and then dirtying it up and selling to us as battle damage. I don't know if that was the intent of that particular set. I had never seen that set. Again, it was an exclusive to uh, San Diego Comic-Con, I think. I forget what year. But there are so many, many other ships that should have been made. But in this particular case, it's one of these situations where the line runs out of steam, runs out of money, and wherever they stop, that's where they stop. That uh, Cylon Heavy Raider, uh, yes, would have been a nice uh, addition to the list. I would even go as far as to suggest they could have added maybe a shuttle or two, even though they're, you know, they kind of come and go and the shapes differ. As I mentioned before, the base stars, definitely classic and modern. That was, um, that should have been next, just like, a, you know, they had it on the schedule, but canceled. Sorry. That would have been part of series number six, alongside the Battlestar Galactica that we got, the classic one. Another ship that was very somewhat iconic I would say is the ring ship, the luxury liner, the Intersun luxury liner. And that's part of the fleet. If you remember the show, that's the one that there's this huge ring and a very long section going through it, kind of moving forward. That's a ship that shows up a couple times. I believe it would have been a great addition. Now, I don't remember if, that, if that's the same ship that Boxy <laughs> dies in. I thought he was in a some kind of a, a hydro ponics ship or something i don't know but yes that would have been a great one i know that they had some haulers and some like movers okay not too iconic but hey listen they had the mineral ship which is the series of circular discs and even better the prison ship that's the one where you have hatch's character you know that's the prison ship where he's been living all these all these years he was living at the time. Uh, that's another iconic one. But yeah, I mean, they could have gone a little deeper without having to resort to the repaints and weathering and this and that. But again, unfortunately, like I said before, they ran out of steam. So the, the bad thing is that, yes, you do run out of ships that they should have made. The good thing is that this makes it a very kind of small collection. You're talking about more or less about a dozen ships and you're done collecting. Some of these are still available at eBay. Eh, prices vary. They're a little steep, in my opinion. You know, you might get lucky and find an opened set, maybe a lot of uh, multiple ships. You might get lucky and find something like that. This particular line, like I mentioned before, uh, was much more successful, at least the titanium line or the titanium idea, more or less, uh, with Star Wars. They had a lot more titaniums uh, than anything else. But... 
you know, as far as Battlestar Galactica goes, the modern one, you know, there are some models out there. I've seen people that, you know, maybe from those um, role-playing games that they have their own versions of the additional ships that were never made. And some people do have, again, from third-party vendors and that sort of thing, other ships, the base stars. Sometimes you can find them here or there. Obviously, you're not going to find them with the proper base, but it is a way of being able to kind of add to your collection and supplement your collection for the things that were never built. So, you know, that's something that can help you out if you're serious about collecting this. Overall, I'm very happy with this collection. I had put it away for a long time, and recently I put it up again because I had forgotten how well made they are and how accurately they represented, you know, their appearances in the show. And given, you know, this is one of these shows similar to Babylon 5 where the majority of these ships were never even made into real models. This is all CGI, except for the, uh, you know, the live size, you know, the actual size ones, you know, the prop ones. But, uh, you know, all of that dogfights and battles and launches and landings, that's all CGI. And for something that is completely CGI, they did a completely fantastic job with these titanium collection ships. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. I'd like to talk today about the concept of the geek or the nerd mall. By that, I want to go back to a number of years ago when I remember, I think I was attending either a celebration, maybe Celebration 5, or even before that, somebody had designed a poster of what a Star Wars theme park would look like. Now, granted, at the time, we already had Star Tours at Disney Hollywood Studios, and there was no sign whatsoever of, you know, obviously Lucasfilm being sold to Disney and all the things that are happening now. But it was nice to kind of fantasize of how many different Star Wars lands you could create and what kind of rides would be there for Star Wars fans to go on. And somebody actually did make a poster, you know, a animation, you know, a, a drawn poster of what something like that would look like. And I remember, you know, we would look at that and just kind of like, wow, can you imagine if they ever did that? And we're like, well, you know, they do have enough people that are interested in that sort of thing. And, you know, I would go and I know so many people who would go and that kind of thing. So, from there, we kind of springboarded to the idea of, granted, like I said, it is happening now in a way, you know, obviously the entire park is not Star Wars themed, but a big chunk of Hollywood Studios now is going to be Star Wars. And and you are going to have all these different experiences that, you know, people were just kind of joking around, you know, creatively uh, spitballing what something like this would look like. But the reason that this reminds me of the concept of the Geek Mall is because I, I remember every time, uh, you know, every time I go to a mall, especially near here, I'm always disappointed the second I walk in because it's kind of like I step into that mall and it's like 95% of the stores here I absolutely do not have any interest in. Now, granted, yes, of course, a mall is not designed for my particular tastes. I would go as far as to say that most of these malls seem to cater, I think, to women more than men. I think there's a lot more women's stores and shoe stores and uh, intimate apparel stores and, you know, kitchen stores, you know, uh, knickknack stores and gadget stores. So it's kind of like, oh, where do I go? You know, whenever I go to the mall, it's kind of like, oh, you know, jewelry stores and stuff like that. But even the amount of men-oriented stores, it's still never enough for me. And because I'm not interested in a lot of the things that a mall might have that are considered to be, you know, geared more towards men, including, for example, all types of athlete-related stuff, I'm not interested. You know, I'm not interested in that kind of stuff. Granted, you know, yes, I will eventually go to a shoe store at some point, but I will most likely never buy sneakers from a mall because the you know the prices are just unbelievable they're like and granted i'm not going to any kind of high-end mall or anything but you know i, I cannot pay hundreds of dollars just for to, you know for a pair of sneakers I, I i know i'm still stuck in the 80s when it comes to prices but again the typical mall that i walk into 
There's usually an, uh, the, the one that's nearest me here. There's an FYE store that has toys in it. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, yay. There's a Hallmark store that has Hallmark ornaments. It's like, yay, Hallmark ornaments. <laughs> There's a Spencer's, which might have some collectible stuff. Maybe apparel, certain collectible apparel. But the majority of that stuff really is not for me. And there might be a GameStop. But I'm not a gamer, so it's like, oh man, they do have some collectibles, so I just walk in there to see what kind of collectibles they have. So, again, this goes back to this whole concept of, you know, the, the mall is just not exactly uh, what I envision it to be. So what if you could design, what if we could design a a mall that is geared, you know, to the, to the kind of uh, geeky nerd crowd that, you know, I seem to gravitate more towards? Well, in this mall, this imaginary mall, I would say well, you would have to have a toy store. Granted, you can't have something the size of a what used to be Toys R Us in your mall, but I do remember plenty of malls that had uh, like a KB store inside. So you could have a, a store that has, uh, you know, modern toys, but then you would also have to have another store that maybe specializes in vintage old older toys. That's a nice uh, little addition. You know, I, I know I would go completely crazy, you know, in terms of bouncing between those two. Those would be my two, you know, biggest places to hit if I had a, a store like that. And again, you know, when I'm envisioning this store, I'm kind of envisioning what it's like for me when I walk into a convention dealer room, you know, the type of things that I gravitate towards. I might not necessarily buy anything, but I love to look at this stuff. So with that in mind, I would say another kind of cool store that you would find at this mall is a poster store. I love to see a, a store that sells posters, maybe even autographs, stuff like that. New posters, old posters, you know, all kinds of weird kind of posters. I don't care if they're original or replicas and that sort of thing. That would be a cool thing to have. You know, I do love books. Books, you know, I go to regular bookstores. I go to used bookstores. And lately I've been trying to hit the used ones even more. So that would be a great thing to have. Maybe you have like a, a Barnes & Nobles in there or a Walden Books or Books A Million. I don't even know if these stores exist. Any, half of these might not even exist anymore. They might have gone out of business. And I'm hearing rumbles of uh, Barnes & Nobles maybe even being sold or something like that. But yeah, even though I buy the majority of my books at Amazon, it's still nice to be able to go at a store and pick up a book and kind of thumb through it. Sometimes I might be even change my mind as to whether I want to buy a book or not, because when I finally do see it in front of me, uh, I might not like it. Or the other way around, a book that I might not be interested, all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is a pretty good book. And then I ended up ordering it to Amazon because I'm trying to save some money. But the idea of the used bookstore, I also love that. I would pick up just about any book used. I do not care what condition it's in. I would rather save some money than to uh, just you know have a mint book. Unfortunately, because a lot of the books that I like are not always available used, Sometimes I do have to kind of go that route, and I am, you know, I probably should uh, be a little more careful when I buy these new books because, you know, you wait a little longer and you can't find, you, you are able to find them eventually, you know, in a, in a used manner. One of my biggest pitfalls is Stephen King, and I'm struggling over it right now because I love Stephen King books. I've been reading them since I was in high school. And the uh, issue that I'm having, and I think I might have mentioned it before, again, in another episode, is that... Books seem to come in three different flavors these days, and when I was young, they only came in two flavors. When I was younger, and I would even say maybe 10, 15 years ago, most of the books that I would read, novel, I'm talking about novels, I'm not talking about the, the coffee table size books, because that's different, but novels, you used to either buy the hardback that came out on a certain day, nice, big, fat, thick, heavy, expensive hardback, and then after, I don't know, six months or a year or whatever, a paperback would appear. A little tiny paperback the size of a size of a paperback. But now what I'm noticing more and more is that most of these books that I like, you have your hardcover book, right? But then you have a what I would consider to be a, like a medium size soft cover version of the book. And then you have your paperback size small version of that book. And they do come at three different price points. It used to be that you had a, I don't know, $15, $20 book, and then you could buy it for maybe five, seven bucks as a paperback. But now you have your $20 to $30 hardcover book. Then that's followed by your soft cover, slightly smaller one that will cost you around 15 bucks. And then months later, you get that paperback. And nowadays they're like nine or $10. It's like, my God, paperbacks are 10 bucks. Again, this might depend on the author, you know, so, you know, a top, 
a top draw like a Stephen King, you know, those might be Stephen King numbers. I mean, I guess if you're a little less known, maybe it's a little cheaper. But, you know, one of my latest obsessions with books is the Bosch series by Michael Connolly. You know, I, I, I watched all of the uh, Amazon Prime, I think four seasons worth of Bosch, the detective show, and I absolutely love it. Uh, now I'm starting to buy the novels and I'm trying to, I'm starting to read the novels, but I'm trying to find them at thrift shops and used bookstores and stuff like that on eBay, cheaper, you know, because uh, I am not going to pay. And first of all, there's so many of them, number one. And number two, I'm not going to pay top dollar for these things. I can't. It's impossible. So uh, I've been lucky a little bit in one of these flea markets that I frequently attend. Uh, I've been able to find a whole bunch of them for like 50 cents each. I know that's insane. But then there are others that I had to pay maybe two, three, four bucks a piece, which is still good because remember the price of a paperback now, it's almost 10 bucks. And I, I think I might have bought maybe one that completely, you know, off the rack, just brand new that came out not too long ago. But uh, I think I'm going to try to stick to that format. So that would be great if I had, you know, a used bookstore, you know, at the mall, that would be wonderful. Granted, again, with books, you do need a lot of space. In order to stack th these books, you, you need quite a, a big kind of store. And the mall stores are usually not that big. I mean, eh, some of them could be big, but yeah, not that a used book store could afford, I guess, the rent on a, you know, on a mall. Now, with the toys that I mentioned earlier and, and, and posters and, and even autographs that I said before, the, another kind of store that I would love to visit is kind of like a high-end collectible store. This is stores that have, you know, the maquettes, the uh, sculptures, the uh, gentle giants, uh, all those, uh, you know, little more expensive kind of stuff. The more expensive autographs, the more expensive collectibles and that sort of thing. Glassware and uh, maybe even clothing, high-end clothing that's very genre-inspired. You know, you do see some of this stuff. Like when I go to um, Hollywood Studios at the Launch Bay area, the, the Star Wars Launch Bay area, inside, other than just action figures and, you know, cheapy stuff like that, they do have these high-end collectibles, full-blown costumes and full-blown, you know, Stormtrooper armor and that kind of stuff. And the kind of stuff that you really can't afford, but it's nice to look at. Like I said, Master Replicas and those kind of companies that create these amazing, amazing statues at, you know, different scales. It's one of those type of collections that it's like, I don't even want to get anywhere near that because it could be potentially so addictive and so expensive. But at least you could you know, look at them from afar. The other store... Again, that if I have to go to, I end up going to other places that specialize just on that sort of thing. But to me, Dungeons & Dragons. I would love to see a place where you can buy Dungeons & Dragons supplies, the books, the dice, the miniature, role-playing uh, characters and the environments and the maps and all kinds of that, you know, that sort of gear. It would be interesting. Now, granted, yes, a lot of times, because those kind of places cannot make enough money to sustain themselves, they're incorporated into a comic book shop or a gaming shop. You know, they kind of combine a number of those to be able to, I guess, pay the rent and stay in business. But yeah, in, in my dream mall, there will be a uh, a and d store uh, there too. Now, What's a mall without uh, places to eat? So it would be nice if you had, yeah, obviously you would have your little, your, your usual cheapy places to eat at a regular mall, you know, not, not specifically theme uh, oriented, but it would be nice to have one nice restaurant in there that is very theme oriented. And by that, I'm thinking of something like a, you know, Planet Hollywood did in the past where it would have in the actual restaurant, all these decorations that are indicative of, of, of collecting, you know, Hollywood memorabilia and that kind of stuff, toys, whatever. I'm also thinking of a, a restaurant they used to have, I don't know if it's still around in Manhattan, called Jekyll and Hyde's, and it was like a horror-themed restaurant where you had all kinds of horror-related paraphernalia everywhere. Now, yes, I do know for a fact that once Star Wars Land uh, is completely built out, Galaxy's Edge at Hollywood Studios, there are going to be a number of places that are very Star Wars-themed Star Wars centric, if you will, for eating. So uh, I guess I will eventually see that, but obviously not under all, not everything under one roof. Apparel is something that sometimes I'm interested in, and I wouldn't mind seeing a store that is all apparel related, but having to do with movies, you know, uh, sci-fi, horror, that kind of stuff. And nowadays you kind of see that, but it's incorporated usually into other stores. So like I mentioned before, if you go to Fye. Uh, it's really a record store or a DVD store, or but they do have clothing in the back. Same thing with um, Spencer's. It's it's 
they do have clothing, but sometimes, you know, the elves have stuff that's really weird and you just, you wouldn't want to bring your parents in there. And in a lot of other stores, you know, they do have, but a store that would just specialize on that sort of thing, you know, that would be really nice. Again, the things that I'm mentioning now, a lot of times are combined into stores. There is a version of a store that tries to cover a lot of these things, but obviously it's not everywhere. It's the Think Geek store. You know, I've, I've seen one, I think in Orlando, I think that's where I saw it. And it's cool because they do have a lot of this stuff. A large portion of it, unaffordable, completely unaffordable. But even their their online store, you know, there is quite a number of items that fall into this category. But the problem is that when you try to cram this into one store, uh, obviously your selection is going to be very limited. And you because you're going to want to have so many different types of these merchandise, they have to squeeze as much of it as possible into one store. And then you end up with you know, very limited amount of items, you know, a good representation of the different type of stuff, but not enough merchandise, you know, not enough variety within, you know, each specific section. I wouldn't also mind having a thrift store in a mall. And again, a thrift store is a little difficult because usually it's associated with a very kind of cheapy, uh, low budget type of setting. But if, for example, you have a, um, like a supermarket size or maybe a little smaller environment in a mall, and they do, you know, if you look at a real, if you look at most malls, you do have your small stores and then your giant stores, small stores and giant stores. You have your Macy's, for example, or your Sears, and then you have your individual little stores that are obviously much cheaper. The, you know, the rent is much cheaper, but you know, money's no object. We're thinking, we're dreaming here. No, the reality doesn't count. So yeah, in the places where you would have your Macy's or your, uh, you know, JCPenney's, that's a good place to put a Goodwill, for example, or, or or when it came to these bookstores I was talking about. Yeah, that's where you would put the bookstores, whether it's a used bookstore or your new bookstore. So I would put something like a Goodwill because I do find it sometimes that, you know, you end up finding some really interesting things in Goodwill. Granted that a lot of these things are combinable, you know, it's, you know, sometimes I'll find a cool book or or a cool toy or something that I'm looking for. So I wouldn't mind having something like that. And again, while we're in the subject of just dreaming, models. I love building models. So I wouldn't mind having a, a model supply store where they sell, you know, plastic models, all types of genre-related plastic models, uh, supplies, paints, all the different acrylics and, and, and types of paints and brushes and glue and sprays and, you know, all the supplies that you would need for creating your own models. That would be awesome if there was a store like that. Again, nowadays, I only see them somewhat being incorporated into maybe a D&D store. Usually, regular toy stores don't even bother with models anymore, to tell you the truth. You might find a little something in a like an arts and craft stores, uh, which is another one that I would love to have in my imaginary mall, is something like a Michael's or a Joanne's, but just a general arts and craft store. You know, that, that could be another one of these uh, larger size retail space <laughs> where we would house uh, something a little bigger because, yeah, those arts and craft stores are pretty big in the amount of floor space that they need to incorporate all of their material. And obviously, you need a comic book shop. You need a comic book shop that would only specialize in comics because... Granted, if we have all these other stores, you don't have to then walk into your traditional comic book shop that, again, tries to supplement their income by not only selling comics, but they'll sell toys, collectibles, D&D supplies, maybe some model stuff. You know, that's what ends up happening. They, they have to sell other things to supplement their income. But in this fantasy world of mine, I would love to see a store that just deals in comics. Not only uh, brand new comics, but obviously old comics. You know, some people are looking for older Prints, you know, that are no longer available, and then that's the place you would get it. The other thing I would love to see in a mall is not necessarily a store, and I don't even, I'm not even exactly sure how it would be portrayed, is a hub for where you can find information having to do with conventions that are nearby or not even nearby, but information for the uh, geek and nerdy community to be able to learn about events that are available for people to get involved with in person. I would even say even the D&D store that I was mentioning, you know, where you get D&D supplies, it would be great if they had also campaigns that you could join, classes you could take on how to play D&D and start playing D&D and that kind of thing. So yeah, why not? I would love to see something like that. 
What I really would love, again, about this hub idea is ways for people to be able to interact. Groups that you would be able to join in different shapes and forms so that you could kind of break off into groups where, okay, there's a D&D group that meets over here. There's a toy collecting group that meets over there. You know, the concept of having that restaurant could be a cool thing where there's a couple of rooms for the, and this restaurant that is reserved for group meeting. So Monday nights, the D&D group meets there Monday nights and they, you know, they have dinner together or whatever. And then Thursday nights, you have the uh, the toy collecting group and, and so forth. And then you have the comic book guys, you know, that, that kind of thing where, where it kind of breaks into different days and you kind of start forming a community that is not only online based, you know, virtual reality based community, but a real life community. Because this way you can also learn, like I said, about conventions and that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, here's another perfect thing to throw in the mall. A movie theater, for crying out loud. This is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about things that have to do with movies. Well, what the hell? We have the retail space. Throw in a movie theater. Put in a, uh, you know, like a, you know, not a 32-plex or six. Put something like, uh, I don't know, let's just say uh, eight movies. Eight movies are playing. Okay, put eight movies. And obviously, concentrate on the genre material, but depending on the the day, you might be able to kind of do what the Alamo Draft House has been doing for a long time, and that is bring the vintage stuff, bring the old 70s, 80s movies, you know, for a special screening. I absolutely love that. Now, granted, they also worked it into a dining theater experience. It's not just watching the movie as being able to eat, but the fact that they're combining it with the love of cinema is fantastic. So yeah, that would be, oh my God, that would be so great. That's the type of place where it's like, I would just like want to quit my job and just work there. I would love to like work in one of those stores every different day of the week. <laughs> so you can get a little bit of everything. Can you imagine such a, such a crazy environment like that? It's like, wow, that would be amazing. Plus the other thing is that obviously in this fantasy environment, it would be the great place for me to be able to if I could work in one different environment every day, that'd be great. But also, it would give me so much material because the the amount of people that you would be able to house in there in terms of people that are so into the genre material, there would be an endless amount of stories and conversations, you know, potential show material, if you will, to, you know, keep me going for ages. But unfortunately, none of this exists in the manner that I'm saying right now that this place would work. I really couldn't even imagine where something like this would work. I would say, you know, it, it would have to be somewhere in Los Angeles or New York or Seattle or, you know, it has to be or San Francisco, you know, maybe even Austin, Texas. I don't know. But it would have to be in, in, in a genre heavy environment to be able to sustain that amount of business, you know, within one grand environment. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We took a trip to my old Battlestar Galactica collection of titanium ships. I really, really love those ships. I, As you can hear from my comments, I wish they would have continued making just a couple more to kind of flesh out the rest of this line. It would have been really cool, but unfortunately, this is what happens a lot of times when the property starts to lose steam, so does the merchandise. And then... We also went to the Geek Mall. We talked about what a, an imaginary ideal uh, mall for geeks and nerds like us would look like. Again, just a, just a, just daydreaming here, but it's kind of cool if, if something like that were ever to exist. Or at least in sections, if you had, well, this has this, this and that, but it doesn't have that, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, you know what, like I, like I mentioned during the piece, I do remember fantasizing about a Star Wars park, a Disney Star Wars park, and guess what? We're getting one more or less next year. We're getting an entire section of a park dedicated exclusively to Star Wars. So, hey, you never know, you know, this, this might come true one day in the very distant future. So, on behalf of everybody here, thanks for listening, and we will see you here soon at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Staring. Who cares? Just soak it in. Hello, boys. Oh, hey. Can you please stop staring? They're just girls. It's nothing you haven't seen in movies or in drawings. Hey, Stuart. Well, what brings you guys here? 
We were looking for a recommendation about comic books. Oh, well, I recommend you don't open a store and sell them. <laughs> no, we were just wondering why the guys like this stuff so much, so we thought we'd give it a try. Oh, okay. What do you think you might be into? Superhero, fantasy, graphic novels, manga? I swear I will turn a hose on you. <laughs> what kind of comics do the guys like? Um, a little bit of everything. Mostly superhero stuff. All right, well, who's the best superhero? <laughs> Can't ask a question like that in here. Are you trying to start a rumble? <laughs> well, what do you recommend? Well, uh, let's see. You've got your basic clean-cut good guys, Superman, Spider-Man, Captain America. Then you have your darker anti-heroes, your Batman, your Wolverine, Punisher. Ooh, I do love a bad boy. As evidenced by your boyfriend and his fear of hamsters. If I were you, I'd go for Fables number one. The artwork is sophisticated, it's intelligently written, and it doesn't objectify or stereotype women. Oh, Thor, he's hot. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2018. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. <laughs>